You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. And good morning. Welcome to each one of you. Thanks so much for being here this morning. And um, so... I'm Dwight Moeller, one of the elders here at Oak Hill, and I feel like this thing is really in my way. Am I allowed to move this? Yes, I am. Um, I'm not allowed to move that. Pastor Nate, Pastor, Pastor Nate, Pastor Ben was on a working vacation this week and out of the office, and so um, I'm going to bring the message this morning. Um, certainly... There's a weight that 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 I bear in that. Um, I think, wow, you know, Pastor Ben spends all week in the office, and he um, he's kind of about these things all week. And I think I work in construction with with concrete. And many times, I I tell myself and even coworkers and whatnot, hey, it's only concrete. We can buy more tomorrow. It's not a big deal. And as I got close to doing this this morning, I thought but that what I that default I often apply, uh, it doesn't get any more important than this. When I think about guiding my church family, you know, a couple steps closer to heaven, if you can say it that way, or maybe getting getting that wrong. Uh, so certainly. I trust God for those things, and I want you to do that with me, and we're going to, we're going to trust Him together. We're in First Timothy chapter 6 this week. Uh, we're, we're going to look at uh, how Paul counseled Timothy in how to lead and teach individuals in the church concerning money. So if you have your notes there, the big idea for this morning's sermon is... Um, the title there is, This is Only a Test, and I don't know if the word only there is any good, but... All my life, I heard that guy on the radio say, this is a test, this is only a test. So that's where that came from. Um, Don't put a lot into that. The big idea is to grade your money test to see where your hope is set. Grade your money test to see where your hope is set. Now, you might say, uh, I would need to take a money test to grade a money test. Well, actually, as long as you've been a believer and you've handled money in even a very small form or whatever it might be for you, you've been taking the money test. should have told you. Maybe for some of you, go like, hey, I wish I'd known that 50 years ago. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll get to that part. I'm with you. What do I mean by a test? Well, it's like that uh, your least favorite co-worker is a test. You've heard that. Um, I don't know, you got a flat tire this week, you got pulled over by the police, it was a test. A lot of things are a test. Your family, sometimes they're a test. For some of us, money is a significant test. For me, and I'll tell you some more of that story as we go along here, it's a significant test. For my wife, on the other hand, not real concerned if there's a bunch. Not real concerned if there isn't too much. It's not a very big test. See, God knows even before you were created. God knew 
everything about all the sin nature and how it was going to be wrapped up in your heart, right? Knew, knew all about it. We come along pretty ignorant about all those things. And as we take these tests and God reveals, God can come along then and say, now do you see who you really are? As we brought that to the surface, God knew it the whole time. But He uses the circumstances, and this morning He's going to use money, uh, if He's speaking to you, to reveal some things about your heart that maybe you didn't know before. I want to stop here for a second, though, because I realize that for some of us, you might be sitting here saying, Dwight, finances are hard. Like, we look at our circumstances every week, and the bills are bigger than the income. For some of us sitting here, the bills are bigger than the income. And you're like, really, Dwight, that sounds pretty cavalier. Hey, it's a test. No, it's real-life struggle, and I understand that. And certainly, brothers and sisters, I'm the last guy to heap on guilt and shame. Hear me in that. I really am. I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you to trust more in God, um, to see more of what He's doing, to believe in His provision. And unforeseen circumstances come along. There's downturns in jobs. Um, you know, a million things. Um, you know, every week there's expenses that we didn't know, we didn't plan for, and it is uncertain. And for some of you, it's a real challenge. And so I don't, I don't, by saying a test, I don't want to make light of, of any circumstance or any challenge. In fact, I want, I want, we're just want to take a time out, and I want to pray for that challenge for you this morning. Dear Father, some of us here find, find ourselves just in needy circumstances financially, Lord, and those things are hard. Um, they can be worrisome and weary. And Lord, you are the provider of all things. And so I ask that I ask that there would be encouragement for those in a struggle here this morning. I ask that this coming week there would be provision. Um, that my church family could see you taking care of each one of us and trusting you for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Certainly I can relate to that in um, uh, the family I grew up in. There was significant financial challenges as as a kid growing up, and, and I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll tell you a little more about some of those things. I grew up in a great home. My parents were great people, but it was one, like sometimes it doesn't roll the way you expect it to. And, and those things leave a mark, and, and it, it's probably why I um, uh, have some kind of real life, hey, I've been there and felt that, you know, in, in this whole topic. Uh, so... I want to introduce the book of Timothy just just a little bit to you. Timothy, uh, Paul is an older pastor nearing the end of his ministry, and he writes a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. So we're reading somebody else's letter, but but Paul is saying, Timothy, this is these are the things you're going to watch for in the church. These are these are the ways you're going to teach and guide the church. So certainly we can we can look right over his shoulder and read that letter and understand that that a lot of it is directly for us as well. So, in 1 Timothy, the main things that keep kind of coming along are 
there's going to be false doctrines and there's going to be false teachers that are going to invade and and try to get a foothold in the church. And Timothy, you're going to need to bring it back to the gospel many times and watch out for these kind of ideas and watch out for these kind of ideas. And in chapter 1, he... Um, well, at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, teach and urge these things. If we go back to the beginning of the book, these things are God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope. Keep it a gospel focus, Timothy. In chapter 1 there, the aim of the charge is love that issues from a pure heart. Um, and these false teacher ideas that keep popping into this book here are... Um, uh, quarrels and divisions and strife and conflict and disunity and, and just some other ideas. And the idea that comes along in uh, chapter 6, we're going to dive right into the middle of verse 5. So Paul is kind of giving a list of these are the false teacher things to be watching out for. And uh, right there in the middle of verse 5, he says, these false teachers are going to be imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We're going to stop there for just a second here. Um, so, right there in verse 5, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I always thought that, like, we call it the health and wealth or prosperity gospel. I thought that was like a modern um, thing that started here in America. Not true. It's been going on for forever. Um, Nobody ever says this, but in its in its kind of worst form, uh, it sort of goes like this. This maybe, like I said, we don't say this, but but maybe it gets thought once in a while. I owe God faith, belief, and maybe some kind of service or ministry, and God owes me financial success. Maybe it's a little more. Um, I'm kind of hoping it would be nice, uh, especially if I've given sacrificially or maybe something a little above and beyond, you know. God, I went a little above and beyond there and really kind of hooked you up. It would be nice if you hooked me up too, right? Um, I don't know if I was ever there at the first point, but probably the second point sometimes. I can relate to that one. How about this? As I serve God, I know that I know that He knows my needs better than I do, and whether He provides more or whether He provides less, He's right. Back in your notes, there, uh, point number one. If you're filling that out, contentment, a better investment. Contentment, a better investment. So we have a contrast here. We have a contrast of a desire for gain versus a desire for God. And, of course, a desire for God in and through Jesus is contentment. 
Go ahead there, Phil, with that next slide. I think we're ready for that one. So here's how we're handling the money test this morning. And you might have to keep coming back to this thing as we, um, as we go through this. Um, you have to allow and ask God to look inside my heart where I haven't looked before and where am I at there? Do I need to circle a one right now or, or, or can I get closer to a ten? The contrast is laid out in those next couple verses in verse in verse seven. Um, we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world. There's a contentment sees a bigger eternal picture. I arrived here with nothing. The things of this world Shortly I will leave here with nothing. And so in that knowledge of that bigger picture, I'll be content. Verse 8 there. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now if you get into, I don't do Greek, but I read once in a while other people that do. If you get into that word clothing, it's, Thankfully, it's a little bit more than just your shirt and pants here this morning. Uh, on a night like tonight or, or a night like last night, it includes it includes shelter there. If you were out of the weather and you were protected and you were comfortable and you didn't go to bed hungry, uh, you can be content with that. Certainly, contentment has an idea of thinking more of what I've been given than what I've earned, where it's come from, come from. Verse 9 there gives us a contrast and there's a progression in the contrast as we look at that. Those desire to be rich. First there's temptation. Then there's a snare. The snare leads to senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10 is a kind of many times quoted verse and I don't know. I feel like all of us would have that one memorized in the King James, but maybe you don't. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and I was, it was interesting to me to note that it's worded just a little bit in the ESV that we use here a lot at Oak Hill. Um, once again, I, I checked what somebody else thought about the Greek and the word root there. Uh, there's no clear indication whether it should be a or the. So, so um, not finding a lot of differences there. All kinds of evils, the Greek word there really really translates all the evils and can um, money be really at the root of all the evils? Well, if you think about it this way, at the root of the love of money is the love of self. And at the root of the love of self really is the root of all sin, right? Verse 10 says, some have wandered away from the faith. Think about the words wandered away for a second. It gives, a, it gives the idea of kind of a slow, long progression, maybe over time, uh, where years have passed and, and um, 
things have come along. What we're talking about this morning is financial things that maybe have come along. And, and years later, maybe an individual looks back and says, I don't know when and where it happened, actually, but my faith feels far away now. And um, sometimes, sadly, it's until um, all those sorrows have borne their full, full fruit, the, the rope of life looks like it has so many knots in it somewhere down the road that could I even, could I even get back to where I was? Good we didn't run out of time yet. This is taking kind of a painful turn so far, right? So, maybe you can relate to it this way. As I said, um, through my teen years, my, the family I grew up in faced, faced financial challenges, and, and I kind of I watched my parents struggle, and, and uh, decisions were made that were, that were hard for me to accept because... Um, because of that, I was 18 years old. I remember this moment very clearly. I was I was uh, starting to work. I had bought a vehicle. I was starting to experience that money in, money out thing, right? And I was kind of looking over where things were going, and I determined within my heart um, that I would not struggle, that the struggles that my parents had struggled. And... It was a self-centered, I will be vigilant, uh, I will put up a guard, I will make sure this works. And certainly wasn't a prayer that God would provide, none of that. Um, That was a one. That was a one. So... We'll continue that story in a little bit. Hang on a second. Verse 11. Now Paul, uh, here in verse 11, (coughs) excuse me, Paul speaks directly to Timothy now and he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God. You know, when Paul gets excited, he does a really long sentence. This is one of them trying to hang through this thing. I had to read it like ten times. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the present time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light in whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and glory and dominion. Amen. All right, so Paul says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee what things? Distractions and wrong priorities. How do you do it? Well, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Instead of pursuing those other things, pursue these things. Fight the good fight of, fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 
take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's kind of the pivotal phrase in this section. So you can look backwards. How do you take hold of that? Well, by pursuing godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Looking forward, how do you do it? So in this big long sentence that Paul gives us, we can get the highlights right here. I charge you to keep the commandment. What's the commandment? Paul brings out in this whole big long sentence, Paul brings out two brings out two main things to keep track of. He says, Jesus Christ who who um, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate. Another way that would read, in, in the time of Pontius Pilate. So specifically, what did Jesus do? Well, we know what Jesus did. As a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he paid the price for the sin of the world. That's what he did. When we look backward to Calvary, to Jesus' ministry on earth, he died for sinners like you and me, Right? Keep that in focus, Paul says to Timothy. Keep that in focus. Keep in focus the redemption that we have through Jesus. The way that we become God's children, right? The way that our sins are taken away. The other thing to keep in focus is at the appointed time, He's coming back again. Two things to always remember. Two things to keep as priority. Two things to pursue. Jesus paid the price for your sins and He's coming back again soon. And if you can kind of think about for a second, think think about Paul's perspective and where he comes from on this. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was rounding up Christians and throwing them in jail. And God called him out of that, miraculously saved him, and gave him a message to share with the world. Right. So that's Paul's perspective as he talks about these things and he's and he's humbled and he's amazed at the goodness of God and he can't just really kind of can't help himself um, just sort of takes off there and says he's blessed he's the only sovereign he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords so certainly as we as we think about finances and how we handle them and where they come from God's sovereign he provides everything everything comes from him right so, how do those things get lived out? Well, a little bit more of my story on that. Um, I'm amazed at God's patience. If I'd have been God, I'd have watched the 18-year-old have been like, I'll kill that. I'll nip that in the bud about right now. Well, I wish I could say that some of that hard work got done like 15 years ago. Um, but... So, like I said, not long after that decision, an extreme tightwad married a very, very generous young lady, a guy that was super concerned about the finances, married a woman that's really not too concerned if there's more or if there's less. So, Melissa and I decided early on in her marriage that I would kind of handle the finances, right? And that lasted like one evening. And when we realized that, that um, as the homemaker, you know, I'm at work every day. Melissa does the, 
you know, she does the buying for the family and and all those kinds of things. And how how would I? I just it's not me. It's not me. How would I know what's going on? Uh, so that got turned over to Melissa, and and now it's on a computer somewhere, and I I haven't a clue. And and sometimes Melissa says, well, "What would you do if something happened to me?" I'm like, uh, "I'd hire help. <laughs> I would." Uh, Charlie does a fine job with the financier church. I'd be like, hey, can you hack a password and let me know what's going on? So what, what would happen was there was kind of this pattern in our home of once in a while we'd have these discussions where Melissa would catch me up to speed on the, on the um, kind of the overview. And more often than I want to admit, it would be like, um, you know, bills come along. So... One week we'd be talking about, well, we got this, you know, few thousand dollars, and two weeks later I'd check in again, and it was all gone, and I'm like, excuse me, like, and where did it all go? And it was never, it was, there, there was a little bit of tension in the conversation, and just, just wasn't, because um, I was still, you know, I was still down there around a two or whatever, a lot of times in these conversations, and so they would just. They, they would end with just a little bit of tension and things, and Melissa would feel a little bit defensive, and, and I would feel a little bit frustrated. And we had one of those conversations maybe three or four years ago. And the next evening I was on my way home from work, and about a mile from home, and, you know, getting ready to get home, and I was kind of thinking back to, you know, how we had sort of left that, not in a great place. And um, I was at the stop sign there about a three-quarters of a mile from our house, and and I believe God in his mercy through his spirit, he clearly spoke to me about how things needed to change and uh, clearly made a couple of points. One was, you tried it and you had no clue what you were doing. Remember that? Slid down in my seat. Yes, I do. Um, so if you're unable to manage all this yourself, you need to trust Melissa. She's certainly not intentionally just blowing the family finances for fun. And I think the most important thing was, Dwight, relationships are more important than your stupid money. So I went home and I said, "On the conversation we had last night, we're never going to have that conversation again. And with God's help, Sometimes I bite my tongue till it bleeds. We have not had that conversation again. So give me a four or five, please. <laughs> but as I look at that passage, as for you, O oh man of God, flee these things. I, th- I think that was, by God's mercy and His grace, I, I think that was that was getting starting to get that a little bit more right in my own heart. Okay. Verse seventeen. We'll go to note number three there, uh, uh, Phil, the eternal investor. Um, let's read these next couple of verses. But as for the rich in this present age, Paul says to Timothy, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share, thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm sorry, there I got a page behind. The eternal investor. This is this is the last point this morning. The or the physical investment, actually. I'm sorry. The, number three there, Phil. I got you all messed up. The physical investment is number three if you're filling your notes out. The physical investment. So let me get this, get this to you in real plain English. Physical investment. If you're at a place where you're saying, I'm understanding what you're saying to me, Dwight. That all makes sense. And um, that's certainly where I want my heart to be. And I find myself in a good place financially. Uh, what's the plan of action? And I believe we can have, from these verses, we can have a, a, a plan of action, a physical priority that reveals a hope set on God. Physical priority revealing a hope set on God. Paul says, as for the rich. Now, usually, of course, we've got to have a definition for rich, right? And uh, typically, it's in the history of the world. And... As far as the whole world goes now, we're all rich, right? And, and that, is, that is most definitely worth considering. Uh, it's true. That concept is without a, doubt, without a doubt true. But as I look at this passage, I want to define it a little bit different for us this morning. Because uh, like I said, some of us have a week-to-week challenge and we're like, Wait, I don't see a dime for generosity. I don't have it. And I understand it. Sometimes we don't. We go through those circumstances where we don't have that. Uh, some of us are, are sitting in a place where the needs of family and, and the immediate things around me are taken care of. Um, i got a, rep- a responsible plan for the future. Um, you know, debt's well managed and, 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 there's, and there's funds left over and... and um, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that blessing without a doubt. So, if that's you this morning, the words words to you this morning are, don't be proud, don't be haughty. Um, And once again, I'll be back to the first point there. Don't set your hopes on it. Don't set your hopes on it. It's uncertain. I think sometimes... um, when financial trouble comes along, we're like, oh no, God, what are you doing to me? It's sort of our response, and I believe God's response could, could easily be, yeah, but I already told you, I told you right here, it's uncertain. Um, Proverbs 23, verse 5, he says, talking about money here in this passage, when your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying away like an eagle towards heaven. It's uncertain. I did a little bit of... Um, it's just for fun, I guess. Um, everybody knows it's uncertain, right? That's why we have insurance. So just just for kicks, I get here's a list of insurances you can buy. And the reason all this insurance is out there for sale is because it's uncertain. Something can come along and snatch it right away. It can sprout wings and fly toward heaven. So um, because our culture doesn't, we don't want to deal with that uncertainty. Can we get it as certain as we can? Is there a way to take care of it? Uh, there's eight different types of homeowner's insurance you can buy. Um, a whole pile of car insurance, about ten of them. 
uh, health and disability, homeowners and renters insurance, auto insurance, life insurance, pet insurance, gap insurance, whole life insurance. I thought that would have covered it. Tra- travel insurance, and just in case we miss something, you can get yourself some supplemental insurance. What's my point? It's uncertain. It's uncertain. And I don't think all that, I don't think all that fine and dandy list is going to change that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't store up treasures where moth and rust and destroys and where thieves break in. Store up treasure in heaven. Rather trust God. He is certain and He is a rich provider. It says, um, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So if we believe our financial success is 100% God's blessing, 0% our smarts and our hard work, um, then to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share is doable. It makes sense, and it's a joy and a privilege, right? Verse 19, store up treasure as a good foundation for the future. Generosity, being willing to share, rich in good works. Earthly treasure can become heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure is certain. Thieves don't break in and steal that. Uncertain riches can become certain riches. When the stress of managing uncertain riches loses priority, and the joy of managing certain riches with God becomes our pursuit. I believe there at the end of verse 19 what it says, we've taken hold of what is truly life. When the joy of managing certain riches with God becomes our pursuit, that generosity, willing to share, rich in good works, the pursuit of Righteousness and all those things becomes our number one priority, becomes a driving goal. We've laid up a good foundation to take hold of what is truly life. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your... Thank you for being a provider, for being our sole provider, our only provider. I pray, Lord, that... That our faith would be placed fully in you, not on the things we've accumulated or the things around us or the uncertain things that could that could sprout wings and be gone so quickly. Pray that you would meet the needs that are among us and be that rich provider, that we would know your care and your love, and most of all, that we would know your salvation, that we would that we would be looking forward to the day soon that you would return for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing that Christ is enough for us. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.